your Bibles to the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 17. So chapter 17 begins <clears throat> saying, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me. So we're going to back up because we talked about these different angels. But we do need to see a little bit of context here. And the context is, this is after these seven bowls of wrath. And these bowls of wrath have been poured out on um, mankind, the earth dwellers, people who um, have received the mark of the beast, people who are not worshiping God. And so we see in 16.1, I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. So this is final wrath eventually over and over and over again. We're in the, the sixth vision here as we get to verse 17. But these bowls um, are the increasing severity of the wrath of God <clears throat> as we look over and over again at the history of the world from the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ to the throne until his return. What is God doing in the world? And so here with this, these bowls being poured out, we see um, that it's being judgment on the entire world of these people. Uh, chapter 3, the second angel pours out his bowl in the sea. It became like blood of a corpse, and every living thing died in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl in the rivers and the springs of the water, and they became blood. So this is you know, the sea is salt water. There's a lot of food that comes from this, and it, it provides. Um, there's also transportation. But the fresh water is seen as a blessing in the ancient Near East, particularly because of drinking water, transportation, fish, all these things as well coming out of it. And everything died that was in the sea. And then in verse 4, the water became blood. The fresh water became blood. In chapter, verse 5, I heard the angel in charge of the waters saying, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought the judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And so even while we see these two bowls are poured down the oceans and they're poured down the rivers, they're actually judgments on man. And so again, this is the judgment being poured out on wicked and evil people who are opposed to Christ. In verse 7, I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, it was allowed to scorch people with fire. And then verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Now we're beginning to see judgment on the institutions that evil man has put in this world under the inspiration and power of Satan. And so the beast, as we've seen in the past, clearly represents demonically inspired state power. But as this last judgment is poured out, its kingdom was plunged into darkness. And so what we see is, even though there are demonic state powers, there are evil um, kingdoms in the world, um, a judgment on them is they will be plunged into darkness. And we'll see this over and over repeated if you just look back at history. Um, th there is a bent toward the good winning. And so you can say... All right, but there is no purely good in this world yet. And so when the final day comes, all things will be set right. 
So don't get caught into the worldly way of being so hypercritical of everything that you recognize that there is none who are good, no, not one, and then say, therefore, everything that's ever happened in the world is of no use whatsoever. Because that's not what God is saying is happening in the world through the kingdom of God, that he has come and shed light. His kingdom has come. The church, when the church came into the world, the tremendous difference that the church has made in the world has been amazing. So you go from Rome, where they end up persecuting Christians and doing terrible things. Um, I don't even look it up, some awful things. These weren't things that were created just to torture Christians. This is what they did. This is how horrific mankind was. Uh, just... You can see it beginning to, to ease into that direction more and more as um, not just in the sexual things and we see increasingly more, but just in the, in, uh, the idea of violence and just this wickedness that comes about. But God, in his judgment on these kingdoms, ends up plunging them into darkness. And finally, in the last days, it'll be plunged into darkness. Evil begins to eat itself. And so you can kind of see that happening in the world a lot of times where you know, these people are evil and these people are evil and they're on the same team for a while, but then suddenly it, it doesn't last long because of the nature of who they are, whereas the church is to be the opposite of that. <clears throat> yes, we're tainted with sin as well, but we have the Holy Spirit and we have all these different power struggles and we had all these different ideas but we're supposed to be coming together so that out of chaos into a peace into shalom into this comfort into this harmony whereas the kingdom of satan is all about disharmony and disunity and chaos but you can't get anything done like that so you have to gather together for some point but it's always the person in power at the top that's manipulating these things. And so you're talking about Satan ultimately, but God in his judgment does not allow this to happen for long. But what we're going to see in 16 and 17 particularly is God allows these kingdoms to coalesce. He allows them to be able to work together so that he can ultimately overthrow them all at once. And in verse 10 in chapter 16 people gnawed their tongues in anguish why because the kingdom of satan has been plunged into darkness and they cursed the god of heaven because of their pain and sores they did not repent of their deeds verse 12 the sixth angel poured out his bowl in the river euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east and these are the evil kings are coming into that remember all this is um apocalyptic this is symbolic language and so the euphrates is that um, that protecting border from the kingdom of God, from the outside world. And God is now saying, I'm going to dry that up. We're going to let the kings of the world come in and attack. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, and the beast, you know, demonized state power, and the mouth of the false prophet. And as we talked before, that can be false religions, any sort of false teachings that come in and start to give power to the beast. Three And uh, these spirits come out like three unclean frogs. They're demonic spirits performing signs who will go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. And then there's an interjection. I'm coming there. A thief blesses the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Now that's going to be key to our 
passage today because we're looking at this prostitute that's the seducer of the world. And so we have to beware of this too. Verse 16, And they, these evil kings who have set themselves up against God, they assemble themselves at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon, or in the Greek, Armageddon, which is the kingdom, the, the mount of assembly. This is the place, God's holy mountain. All of the kings, the worldly kings who have arrayed themselves in their power uh, against God. I just watched some movie about the emperor of Japan. Was it Hirobuni Ito? Is that his name? It was Hirobuni Ito. Anyway, it was the, the emperor of Japan that was um, the emperor during you know, the bombing of Pearl Harbor and these things. And so they're going in. MacArthur goes over there, and his, he's tasked with saying, you know, do we try him or do we let him go or what do we do? So he, did he order the attack on Pearl Harbor or what? And so the problem was the people of Japan saw the emperor as a god. He believed himself to be god. He had the title god. And so... Um, I won't relate the whole story. If you know history, you know how this works. But finally, um, as they've, they surrender to the United States, and they, MacArthur talks to the emperor, and they say, you know, you help me rebuild Japan. And the emperor eventually renounces his title as a guide, which is tremendous progress. <laughs> but this is what we see in the world today. The state, the emperor, top person in power, the more power they have, eventually they need to be worshipped as God. Absolute obedience and worship. That is what Satan drives kings to desire. And that's why our government was originally set up with the idea of checks and balances, things to try to stop that from happening. There's no way to stop it from happening. But what we as a church are supposed to do is watch and be awake and don't let your garments be stained by this. You are salt. You are light. You speak truth. You stand up for what is true, what is right. And this is what we're called to do. And it becomes increasingly helpful to have the church because as God is judging the evil kingdoms of the world, it's being plunged into darkness. But they are assembling Eventually, toward the end times, the last days, as we get closer and closer to Christ, uh, more and more evil kingdoms appears to be what it's saying here. And they're, you know, they, it's not, don't, don't think physical land mass. Think spiritually, they're all opposed to God. And it's going to come this one great time when God allows them to together rail against the God of the universe and Jesus Christ will finally come back and defeat them. So we get to verse 17. The seventh angel pours out his bowl in the air in a loud voice from the temple. Now you get the seventh angel. Sixth angel is always like, okay, here the sixth vision is always um, the uh, there's destruction coming and then the seventh is uh, from a more heavenly perspective and things. So you get the seventh angel pours out his bowl in the air and a loud voice comes out of the temple of the throne saying it's done. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, a great earthquake such as there has never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. The great city was split in three parts and the cities of the nation fell, fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And then it talks about the further destruction. But I want you to focus on verse 19 because this is what this angel in verse 17 is focusing on. We're going to look a little closer at this episode. 
the great city was split in three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Verse, chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. And with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. And adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. Holding in her hand a golden cup. Full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. The word of the Lord. And so when we see Babylon... The great destroyed in chapter 16. It's an actual city that is, the actual city of Babylon was destroyed centuries before Revelation was written. So this is not about an actual city named Babylon. This is spiritual Babylon. This goes back to the Tower of Babel even in its name, where people set themselves up against God. They, they gather themselves together as one to, to build this, this tower, this mountain, this Armageddon of their own that they're going to set up as this is where we will worship, this is who we are, we will reach up to God, we will make a name for ourselves. And what the book of Revelation is saying is there's nothing new. This is what you do, this is what people do, and this is what is happening, and they're gathering themselves together. And then God, sarcastically even, in Genesis says, he came down to see. So they built this great tower to reach up to God, and God's like, oh, let me go see what they're doing. They, he, you know, I have to come down there. You've, we've seen aerial footage I mean, from outer space. It's, like, it's not even a bump what they did. It's like us trying to jump up. But they didn't get that much closer even to the moon. And he comes down to see, and he just scatters their language, and then they're... They're, they're moved, but he didn't completely scatter it. He gives them groups to, so you have a table of nations, so they move out, so they are able to fulfill the work of God in filling the earth, which is what's supposed to be happening from the Garden of Eden. But then, as you know, the story of salvation, God finally calls Abraham to be a people who's going to provide the Savior. So, this Babylon is not a physical place. Now, in verse 1, we see that he says, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who's seated on many waters. That explains in chapter 17, verse 15, what that means. So, 17, 15, the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So, she's seated on many waters. She's all over the world. And she's... She's transtemporal. That's a word I read. I thought it was cool. I mean, she, she goes across time. This is from the past and the future. This is not just a, a one-time person. This is Babylon who sits, the, the prostitute of Babylon who sits on these many waters. And then Revelation 18, beginning in verses 
uh, this little four through eight right here, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins. And so this is something we, I'm trying not to skip too far ahead in Revelation. I like to kind of have it, it reveals as, as we unravel it here. But you are supposed to take the book of Revelation as a whole as well. And so one of the things that we can't miss here is that as we're thinking about this woman Babylon that we're going to look at even a little more here, and it's an un, the ungodly city of the world that's over many waters, when judgment comes, we're told to come out, which means we too live in these ungodly cities. But we're told to come out, lest you take part in her sins. So we're not supposed to take part in her sins. For her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. So there's this call to the church when we get to that point, and even today, come out. Be careful that you do not fall into um, her seductions, into the beauty that she appears. So when we as Christians, saints, holy ones of the Lord, the church, we're the bride of Christ, a beautiful woman, one day without spot or wrinkle. Today we do live in the world, so we have to take care because seduction is everywhere and the flesh is weak. Therefore, we must walk in the spirit filled with and informed by the word of God. So what is the duty which God requires of us? What is the duty which God requires of his people? obedience to his revealed will that's what we're called to it's not on what our salvation is based but it is as God's people how ought we to live obey what he's revealed in his word live like Christ be the light walk in the spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh not so that he can love you more not so that maybe you'll do good enough to get into heaven but just because this is what you've been created for this is your, your, your role in the world, to be light, to be salt. And you can't do that if you're following and obeying the world. So we see also in, verse seven, in chapter 17, verse 1, Come, I'll show you the judgment um, of the great prostitute who's seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth had committed sexual immorality, with, with, and with the wine of those... And with the wine of whose sexual immorality the earth dwellers have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And so when he's going to see this vision of this beautiful woman who is seducing the world with her immoralities and idolatries and things. I mean, people, you, you, people aren't going, hmm, let me... Uh, be evil they're thinking this is beauty this is provision this is how I get my health my wealth my security the, the, if I want power this is who you go to for power if I want protection this is who you get from protection uh, but she's in the wilderness and so it's kind of like a, like a desert I, I think wilderness I think a bunch of trees 
out in the forest, but what they're, the wilderness. It's a, it's a chaotic place. It's where uh, going from Egypt to the promised land, you go through the wilderness. And so in a sense, that's where we live today is in this wilderness of God with him in our midst. But this is where this woman is. And Jesus, when he was tempted, he wasn't tempted in the garden as Adam and Eve. He was tempted in the wilderness. This is where Jesus was tempted. And he withstood, and he was tempted directly by Satan himself. And Jesus withstood by quoting scripture. And Satan continues to try to um, give Jesus a kingdom without a cross. All the kingdoms of the world can be yours. They've been given to me. I'll give them to you if you will just worship me. Same thing gets held out to the world today. And there are many kings and many people who get that mark of the beast and who maybe aren't thinking, well, I'm going to worship Satan and do this, but that's what they do. And so as he sees her in the wilderness, he's recognizing that she's not in a place of prosperity. She's in a place of deceit and testing, and many people are falling um, for this. So he carries it in verse 3. She's in this wilderness. Now saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. That's a red, deep red color, scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. So these are names that are elevating itself up to and over God. I am the ultimate authority. And if you watched I don't know, during the pandemic as even our leaders in certain places of this country began to become more authoritarian and totalitarian in their way of dealing with things, uh, begin to elevate themselves above God. There were even a couple who said, God did not save us, we saved us. This was scientists, this is you, this is not God. And so we hear certain leaders that begin to express outwardly what was in there inwardly the whole time. And so we have to be careful who we're listening to and who we're following and making sure that as we're living in this world that our minds and hearts are informed by the word of God as we listen to what the word of God says. But these blasphemous names of this beast, and it had seven heads and ten horns. So it's like, well... Here we go again with these little things, but it's like we've seen this beast. So Revelation 13, 1, this is the same beast. 13, 1, I saw a beast rising out of the sea, ten horns, seven heads. There it is. Ten diadems on its horns, blasphemous names on its head. And then it goes on and says that uh, a little more about it. Um, I saw it was like a, a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, the mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon Satan gave his power and his throne and great authority. So he had promised Jesus this, if you worship me. But now instead, kingdoms of man get this, if you will um, worship me. And so it goes on. So this woman is seated on that beast. And to be seated on it, it's like she's riding it. She's controlling it. She has power over it. We'll see later that it ends up turning against her. And also the idea being... <coughs> that um, she's using the power and controlling the power of this, the state power to accomplish her purposes so that what Satan does, he's accomplishing his purposes in two primary ways. One is alluring people seductively to say, oh, I've got to have this. This is whatever it is that your heart's desiring, whatever your fears you go to to be alleviated, whatever it is so that you're, you're going to be seduced into worshiping um, Satan 
ultimately in this way, or you'll be coerced into it. You obey or you will be punished, and that's the beast. Or you could be rewarded, and that's the power of the state. They have the power of the sword. It has the power um, to, to cause people to obey or disobey or suffer the consequences. So what the book of Revelation has said over and over, watch out for that alluring stuff. She's beautiful. She got a golden cup in her hand. You know, but Jesus told the Pharisees, the outside of their cup is very clean, but inside is full of greed and abominations. And it's the inside of the cup that makes the difference. So we have to be, you know, all that glitters is not gold. We, we know this. But things can be very alluring in the world. So make sure you aren't just going after the world inside this cup is abominations and the impurities of her sexual morality. In verse 5, on her head was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great. So, okay, this is the Babylon that's been judged by these seals. Mother of prostitutes, which is interesting. There are some um, Tyre. Uh, Nineveh and even Jerusalem at times have been called uh, prostitutes or that they are uh, receiving the wages of a prostitute because of what they're doing with their evilness and their uh, abominations that they're putting out there. And so other cities at different times have been called prostitute-like. But now this is the mother of all prostitutes. This is the power above all of this across time. So as we see this rising up again and again um, in verse 6, well, let me go back to on my page, same verse. On her forehead was written this name. So we saw the mark of the beast on the hand or forehead. We also saw that the believers, the saints, the church, have a seal. They've been sealed on their heads. It says, has the Father's name on their heads. So we're sealed with the Father's name. Uh, can a believer receive the mark of the beast? By definition... <laughs> No, I mean, the mark of the beast is you're, you're not a believer. You're, you're, you're not saved. You're, 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 you're of Satan. That's it. It's only two places. You're either mark of the beast or you're sealed by God. That's it. So, you no, know, you can't receive as a believer the mark of the beast. But you can be marked by the beast. You can become um, entangled with sin by the beast. You can be ensnared by you can be allured by you can be seduced by and you can all of a sudden decide that i will use the beast for my own purposes and you've got to be careful with this god instituted government as a minister of righteousness to do his work in the world and yet we see the great beast is demonically inspired state government so the idea being, not all governments are demonically inspired, but there are some that are, and we always have to be on the lookout to make sure that as much as it depends on us, our government, locally, uh, nationally, or whatever, is not becoming more and more demonically inspired. We've been given a great uh, privilege to vote, to speak to, to, you know, we don't live in a totalitarian government where we have to keep our heads down and just sort of be cool and make sure you don't, you know, anything you're trying to do, you know, you're trying to hide the Jews from the Nazis and things like this. Um, so as much as we are able to be light and salt, that's what we're called to do. Be salt, be light in this 
world. And it may be called to some Christians to even run for public office. There's nothing wrong with that if that's to what you're called. But you have to be very careful when you go to any level of power that you aren't seduced by the allure of the power or the control or these things. And that's why it's always good to have believers around you, a church around you, so you're held accountable by other people as well. So she has this name written on her. This name reveals your true character, your ultimate loyalty, and your relationship. And then in verse 6, 17, 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs. And John says, when I saw her, I, I marveled greatly. So she appears beautiful and can offer whatever you want, wealth, pleasures, health, safety, Lie with me, and I'll keep you healthy, wealthy, and wise. I will keep you um, comfortable. I will provide for what you need. But she is a woman of lies and deceit, and she's riding the beast. If Satan cannot control with pleasure and allurement, he will force you with the state power. And we live in this world, but we are of the kingdom of light, not to be caught unaware. And so the rest of the Bible tells us many things about this. So let's just go to a few places to be reminded about how we ought to live in the world. 2 Corinthians eleven twelve. 12. So go to 2 Corinthians with me. Second Corinthians 11, just this um, 12 through 14. <clears throat> and what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. So there's a pot, false apostles are coming in and Paul's writing to say, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. That still happens. Be aware of that. Watch. A tree shall be known by its fruit or what they preaching. Um, does it align with the word of God? You can do the same thing with state power and laws. Are these laws aligning with the word of God, with the will of God? And if not, then you know that um, they're falling away from grace. <clears throat> but they are disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Verse 14. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And so you have to be careful. This is what servants of righteousness, that's what they want to look like. Everybody wants to look like a servant of righteousness. So what you have to do is say, what is righteousness? Is it this or is it that? Is that person actually serving righteousness or just claiming to now, as the world becomes less and less Christian, or our area, culture becomes less and less Christian, uh, there will be a consensus around what is right. And as it's less and less Christian, that is going to be contradictory to what the Word of God says. So you've got to be very careful. The majority of people are saying, this is right, this is good. And the Bible is like, no, no, you're going to be judged for that. And so what do we do as believers? Keep your head down, walk over there. You know, there are certain parts of the Bible that say, you know, live peacefully. 
Don't go out trying to make trouble for yourself. That's wrong. Don't go out just trying to stir up trouble. That's wrong. We want, what kind of lives do we want to live? Peaceful. <laughs> we'll have peace. We want to be able to have freedom to be able to do the things that we want to do. We want to be able to, you know, that, that's what we want to do and, and not to be compelled to, uh, you know, choose between Satan or God. But increasingly, and in your life in different ways, you're going to see that tension brought up in your life and you have to make decisions. Do I follow God or do I follow the world? The flesh and Satan. And so what he's saying here is you also have to be careful because you can say, ooh, that's an angel of light. Eh, it could be Satan. Be careful. It's a servant of righteousness. Eh, people who follow, they will also, people who follow Satan will disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. How, what are we supposed to do? We're not smart enough to figure this stuff out. This is, this is beyond our pay grade. This is like spiritual stuff. Put on the armor of God. Be in the word of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, and self-control. Practice these things. Walk in the spirit. Don't walk in the flesh. Don't desire the things that the world can offer you. You know, look at if you got 401ks, if you got a lot of investments or something, it's like, do, 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 do. it's going down. So what do you do? I don't know. We got to do something to bring that back up. But believers have got to go, oh, well. You know, I do it. I, I, won't, I pray for wisdom. Help me to be wise. Help me make wise decisions with my finances so that I will have something to give. So that I don't have to depend on other people. But I will not have that as my God. You be very careful with that. Or your health. Oh, my God. Sorry. Got me. <laughs> Look at the totalitarian impulse of the spirit of the age when it decides that we must make you obey us for your own good so you don't die. And then what does the world do? You better kill those people that aren't listening to you. I mean, a lot of people think like that. <laughs> it's like, what if I disagree? It don't matter. You will obey. That's the, that is the satanic impulse. That is the control. That is the drive. And then as believers, we uh, Romans, what, Romans 13, obey those who are in authority over you. Really? That's how we're going to interpret that? The Nazis show up? Give me your Jews, or just do, or you're, you know, you're the Polish police battalion 101, and the Nazis tell you, I need you to line up all the Jews in your town and shoot them in the back of the head, which they do. Why? Because they were obeying the, you know, Romans 13. <laughs> Use your brain. You put on. You gotta have spiritual warfare. We gotta understand the spirit of the age. And we have to be careful to recognize these things. Now, 1 John chapter 2. It's a little closer to Revelation. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 18. Now, there are some people who just are rebellious by nature, and any sort of power or authority, they're just going to be opposed to it. That's, that is also wrong. That is an impulse that can be used by Satan just as well. So you have to be careful of this. Our hearts have to be in the right place. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Do not love the world. Oh, well, I thought I was supposed to love the world. Not like this. <laughs> in love with the world. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. How do we know what the will of God is? 
his revealed will. That's all we're responsible for. Not his secret will. The secret things belong to the Lord. I don't know what he's doing here. I don't know what he's doing there. I don't, you know, we're not smart enough to figure these things out. But here's what you do. Love your enemy as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, don't steal. Don't cheat. You know, be light. Be salt. What the word of God say do? Do it. Not, then it's like, well, that's being legalistic. Eh, 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 stop that. I'm not talking about that. We get grace. We get justification. And, to, and we get even sanctification being done. It's just like, how are we supposed to live as a church? How are we supposed to be light? How are we supposed to be salt if the light within us is darkness? The word of God tells us how to live. The word of God tells us what to do. Do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, recognizing how far short we fall and being able to apologize to people for it, to be able to, to say, I had to live by grace, therefore I have to give grace, and that's how I have to, to live my life and to mark my life. Then Ephesians chapter 2. So that's after Acts and Romans, Acts and Romans, first second Corinthians. We get to Ephesians, GEPC, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins and once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them we are the other woman in a good way <laughs> the one woman is this prostitute Babylon we are the bride of Christ it's a clear contrast that is put up here in the Bible she looks good on the outside but inside uh -uh. us maybe we don't look so good on the outside right now but one day we'll be about spot or wrinkle and inside is the Holy Spirit and we are to walk in the light and be the light. God said in Genesis, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. The seed or the offspring of Eve and the seed of the offspring of Satan. So this is the battle that we see continuing and being worked out in the book of Revelation. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, which are you? Are you of the seed of Satan? Doubt many people will want to say, that's, that's me. First step to recognizing your need is to say, that's me. I don't want to be that. My desire is Christ. My desire is to be a different person. My desire is to have this salvation that I see that I need. My desire is sorrow over sin. My desire is to somehow have harmony with this light so I'm not ashamed to go into the light so I'm not afraid of the judgment of God I'm able to cling to Christ for my salvation alone and if we're in Christ 
the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, Jesus Christ, and we are adopted in his family and we become the seed of Christ for the offspring of Jesus Christ, we're fellow heirs with him, then we're to walk in the Spirit, loving the church, the brothers, the sisters, sharing the gospel of his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. He became a curse for us, the perfect man, the Son of God, God the Son. He has given us his Spirit, and we have been born again from above. I want to close with Mark chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. So Matthew, Mark, chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. It's the parable of the sower of the seed. The gospel goes out, people hear it, and there's different things, different responses. And this one is, and, and the others are ones who are sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but then the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things, this is the prostitute Babylon, that enters in and chokes the word and proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. That's our calling. Watch yourselves. Cling to Christ. Bring up your children in the way they should go. They are targets too. And we'll bear fruit. We'll be fruitful. And we're given the table for Christ to say to us, I'm with you. This is the gospel that you need me. Not just an occasional thing, but you get to fellowship with me. Slide your knees beneath my table. I am with you. You are with me. I give myself to you just as truly as I give the bread to you and the, the, the wine to you. By my spirit, I give myself to you. And when you leave from here, you take me with you. And then you come back. And you come back. And you come back. And we're in this world with devils filled. But we have the word of God to guide and to protect. And we have the church to surround us, to encourage us, and to help us stay together and be salt and light. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, your gift of the spirit, your sacraments, your preaching of the word, the means of grace, all these things you've given us so that while the kingdom of Satan is being tossed into darkness, your church is bathed with light. We are candlesticks in the world, the first vision tells us, and you walk among the candlesticks and we're supposed to shine. Help us as a church to shine with a gospel light and a gospel message that we would not be entangled and ensnared with the allurements and seductions of the world, but that we would cling to you as our only hope in this life and for the life everlasting. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.